0: Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie. This episode of Slam the Gavel is sponsored by CPS Protect Consulting Services. A child protective services case is one of the most frightening experiences for any parent. Don't face it alone, face it with confidence with Urgent Assist by CPS Protect. You can have access to former CPS investigators to make sure you preserve your rights and protect your family. If you're facing CPS involvement and aren't sure where to turn, their child welfare consultants can help you. Visit CPSProtect.com forward slash subscribe and enter the coupon code SLAMTHEGAVEL for 10% off your first year of Urgent Assist. And this this is available in all 50 states. I have another announcement. Bradley's mother, Narcissa Golan, passed away five months ago. He is autistic and needs structured routine and therapies he receives for his autism six days a week. However, Italy just entrusted Bradley to Italian social services. If he has ruled to go back, he will face the next three to four years in the Italian foster care system, where he can't speak or understand the language, and he will then be taken away from the only family he has ever known. Please call Governor Hochul, New York State. 518 474 that's Governor Hochul, 518 474 and encourage her to please keep Bradley here safe in these United States, hashtag keep Bradley safe, and I've got a brand new guest, I have Natalie Anderson on all the way from the UK. Natalie and her children have been failed by the Hague Convention on International Parental Child Abduction, three times, In three countries, and this is the topic she would like to talk about today, Natalie's ex-husband allegedly warned her that he would corrupt the courts in Croatia, and things indeed started to go very, very wrong. Natalie thought she was dealing with that and with a backwards legal system in Croatia. She then found out that there is a systemic crisis in the family courts in many countries. She decided to put a group together, Family Court Crisis, to act as a platform for parents to help themselves. Family Court Crisis is based in the UK, but is keen to work with the parents all over the world to take united action. And you can find Family Court Crisis on Twitter, where they are most active, on Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. I will put this in the podcast notes. And I actually met Natalie on Twitter, and we have become friends. And I'd like to have her on this podcast to talk about, you know, what is wrong with the Hague Convention? It's failing parents. And I welcome you to the podcast, Natalie. You know, where are you at now and how did you get involved in finding out about this disappointment with the Hague Convention?
1: Hi, Marianne. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a real privilege. I'm so grateful that uh, not just mothers, but parents from around the world can connect up and share experiences and information because these are issues that are affecting our lives so dramatically that mm-hmm. I don't know how to even express. Mm. Um, I was very, very glad to hear you mention um, uh, little Bradley, the a son of the late Narciss Golan, because um, she is, uh, she was a Hague mother like I am, mm-hmm. um, and I would have met her um, in the autumn of twenty twenty two had she not passed away. Uh, under suspicious circumstances uh, rather shortly before that. Mm -hmm. um, I was at a convention uh, run by a feminist uh, charity called Philia in the United Kingdom. And one of the initiatives that Philia launched last year um, is called the Hague Mothers Legacy Project. Um, So there are academics in the United Kingdom who... are very acutely aware um, of issues around the implementation of the Hague Convention on International Parental Child Abduction. So that's a piece of civil law. Um, And that's actually perhaps one of the keys to the the problem. Um, When somebody takes a child from their caregiver and takes them to another place, that is a kidnap. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if if it's against the will of the child um, and what the Hague Convention has done is take this out of the realm of criminal law and um, we governed it with civil law. And so that can be a problem. Um, my first Hague Convention case was a classic convention case Um for the way that the convention was designed, uh, it was um it came into being in 1980. And at that time, it foresaw a situation where a father may take a child to another country. Uh, perhaps it might have been, you know, the Middle East or Asian countries, countries which are very strongly patriarchal, where women have very, very suppressed rights, Mm -hmm. would withhold that child and the mother would not be able to reach the child or maybe would have to go there and remain there under very unfavourable circumstances. Uh, So that was what happened to me. Um, And unfortunately, I was a victim of another loophole Mm -hmm. because... Uh, my children's father said to me that he was feeling stressed and he would like to go on holiday. And I believed him and I gave him permission to take the children on holiday. And it was clear that it was a holiday because of return tickets and Mm. other, you know, circumstances around that. But because it was a, a holiday, he had the permission to take the child. It was treated as unlawful retention and not abduction. And in some countries, that is uh, seen as uh, not being a criminal offence. And, um, and that's lawful retention. Unlawful, unlawful. Unlawful. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So uh, in the United Kingdom, I've seen reference to uh, debates, I believe in parliament or other bodies in government dating back to about 2014 saying we're aware that this is a problem um, because when it's an unlawful retention it's not a criminal offence then we can't put mechanisms into place like Interpol you know to send uh, to go after the children Uh, and that's exactly what happened to me Um, Mm. although in actual fact even when it is an out and out abduction it can be like moving mountains to try to get uh, the police involved. Mm-hmm. So I think what happens is um, the police forces in many countries are overburdened. They don't really like to get involved and they will not in- get involved even in cases where perhaps they should get involved. Um, so parents really f- face an uphill struggle. So they end up in the civil courts um fighting a a, a Hague child abduction case. And in my case, uh, it's really, it's it's difficult, you know, I was told at some points, well, this is such a clear cut case, you know, there's so much evidence that your ex-husband is really up, up to his neck and the judge has everything he needs actually to order the return of the children without even holding a hearing That was one extreme, Mm -hmm. uh, which I heard from my lawyer at the time, through to the other extreme of, oh, well, the Hague Convention is so uh, open to interpretation that it's very difficult to know what the judge will do. And it's really 50-50 as to how the judge would decide. And in actual fact, um, the judge did rule in my favour it took a while. Hague uh, hey, child, child production cases have a time frame of six weeks, um, which, according to the convention itself, and also according to European Union legislation, it, it should, you know, they should try to complete the case and enforce it within that time frame. It didn't take me to six weeks; it took me about six months. But even so, that was bearable. But the mm-hmm. issue that I then faced was. to enforce the the judgment and then it turned out that the judgment was open to appeal and my lawyer at the time said well it's so unlikely um, that he would win an appeal that I suggest we don't even file a submission to oppose it, Um, which we didn't, I I agreed with her, Um, I don't know if that was a mistake but some very weird things happened around that time um my ex-husband disappeared for a couple of weeks he said to the children daddy's got something very important to do he wouldn't speak a word to me and when he came back suddenly after two weeks of being completely out of contact his disposition had changed completely he was uh not just flirting with me but Mm -hmm uh trying to seduce me saying he would like to get me pregnant again mm. I said to him what, mm. what would you do with that child would you take that child too and he said oh no I would have nothing to do with that child and which was very weird and all of the time this was going on he was bombarding me with uh you know he was love bombing me it was really serious and uh left me in a a state of feeling extremely confused because, um, you know, on the one hand that was happening and on the other hand he was filing an appeal and we had a divorce case running at the same time and, you know, I could read the submissions he was making and making very, very aggressive statements against me. It was total cognitive dissonance and I ended up stuck in Croatia, in that situation for a full year until the appeal was uh, dealt with, um, which put it well outside of the time frame of the Hague convention. Mm -hmm. And um, when I put up an objection to what I, I was told by my lawyer, I did not know what was happening to me at the time. Uh, my lawyer said to me, this is, uh," you know, he he didn't actually say sexual harassment, I believe, or I don't know. He said, you know, you can report him to the police for harassment. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, you know, I'd like you to stop doing this, you know, until I'm safe back in my own home with my Mm -hmm. children. I don't want this unwanted attention. And uh, he, it was at that point, he said to me, he said, if you don't drop this court case, the children will come and live with me. The process is already been started. And I told my lawyer, and she said, Well, if that's the case, then you really are in trouble. <sighs> um, Croatia has a massive, massive problem with corruption at a state level. Uh, this is not just me saying that. Uh, the European Union uh, reports on this uh, annually. There is an EU justice scoreboard, there are annual rule of law reports, and the situation is really bad but it's not something that gets reported much in the media it's a small country there may be other political reasons behind this as well but there was so much i didn't know at that time about what was going on uh, that basically what i was being uh, subjected to was um as i found out when i escaped uh, after more than a year and a half of this was coercive controlling behavior Psychological torture, stalking and harassment and I was going to the Croatian authorities and appealing uh, again and again and again for help. Social services were sending me to the police, the police were sending me back to social services. Uh, Then um, my ex-husband was writing letters to the court saying, but we're all living under one roof as a happy family. He was living in my family's property at the time. Mm. Uh, It was awful. I felt like I was a prisoner. I felt like I was a slave because he was going to work and earning money. I wasn't getting any money. I wasn't employed. I was looking after two small children on my own uh, with no income And he was telling the judge, I mean, I have this in writing, we were all living like a happy family. But the meantime, sending social services video footage of me trying to at least keep him out of my bedroom. He was insisting on sleeping in the same bed as me. We'd been divorced for more than half a year. And uh, it was so sickening, like this feeling that I have now is so sickening and in the united kingdom this is very clearly you know i've spoken to uh, domestic abuse support agencies i've spoken to the police and uh, the police said to me this is one of the worst cases of coercive controlling behavior that we've ever come across mm-hmm. and this is a criminal offense in the united kingdom but when i was dealing with the authorities in croatia it was like uh gaslighting it was like well What's wrong with you? Why aren't you more grateful to him? Look, he bought the children a gift. Um, What's wrong with you? Why aren't you obeying the law? You know, because I was, there was one point I just had to get away. I was reduced to a quivering wreck, Uh, you know, physically shaking, feeling really, really weak, you know, with the fear, you know, of continuously being reported to social services. Oh, she's being obstructive. Uh, it, it just, it was an onslaught and living with that level of fear is really mm. terrifying. Um, so, yeah, that's when I got away with the children. I was concerned about my children having to live under those circumstances, you know, being uh, isolated you know, from family and friends, really trapped. It's not a healthy way for young children to live. Mm -hmm. And when I got to the United Kingdom and spoke to doctors, police, domestic abuse agencies, friends, everybody was in complete shock and everybody except the courts. So Mm -hmm. we ended up in a Hague Convention case in the United Kingdom. And that's when I found out, actually, that what I'd been going through in Croatia was a systemic problem of failure to deal with violence against women at a societal and institutional level, and also problems with the family courts and social services. Um, What happened in the United Kingdom really shocked me and really shocked family and friends, you know, people from normal walks of life, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, accountants, designers, uh, family doctors. They couldn't believe what they heard. You know, even the police, you know, were taken aback at the decisions that the judges were making in the Hague child abduction case. Um, I thought it was because the Hague... Child Abduction Convention is implemented extremely strictly in the United Kingdom. Uh, the phrase is they set the bar very, very high for a non-return. So I was told that unless there is medical evidence of the child directly being physically uh, hurt to the extent that it presented a risk to life, that we would be sent back. And we lost our case. And I thought that was the reason why. And I was told by my lawyers at the time that we had no recourse to appeal and over the next year I just started because I was back in the United Kingdom I started to learn more and more and that's when I started to learn that there was a community of parents on Twitter who are victims of the family court Um, that the things that are going on in the family courts are what I would term a malfunction (laughs) but you know to an extent which is really horrific. When I say the word horrific, I really can't stress enough the uh,
0: horror. Yeah, (laughs) the horror and devastation. And it's a shock to your system.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, after about a year, there was a landmark court hearing, which I found out about over social media called re h and n in the london uh, high court um which included child abduction cases it was a joint appeal and one of the barristers representing a barrister is a kind of attorney we've got two kinds of attorneys in the united mm-hmm. kingdom he spoke about child abduction in these terms he said it is the ultimate controlling act and it's true it really is but actually I had been being gaslit into believing it was nothing Mm. Um, (laughs) and um, the other light bulb moment in this appeal was a family judge who does not take into account domestic abuse uh, will be found to have fallen into error And I managed to make contact with the uh, one of the barristers in that case and she had a look at my judgments and she said yes if I had been your barrister I would have appealed and -hmm. she gave me the grounds for appeal and Mm -hmm. one of them was not taking into account domestic abuse using the current understanding of the term and the legislation which included at that time coercive controlling behaviour and psychological abuse, not just Mm -hmm. physical beatings. And um, since then, actually, that definition has expanded in the UK to cover the impact on the child of abuse towards the mother. Now, in our case, I believe that there are grounds to argue that the children have been direct victims of everything that Mm -hmm. has happened. But even if they hadn't, it's now understood That to run a mother into the ground financially, psychologically, to isolate her, to make her desperate, to impact her parenting abilities because she does not have the health and the support that she needs to invest her time and her love into her children, into bringing them up and caring for them, that is also abuse of the child. Um. I think that there's more around that that could be said. So, you yeah, know, but that yeah. was that was done. Um, we my children were sent back to Croatia, but I went back to Croatia to continue my fight. And mm-hmm. three, at, uh, there came a turning point where it looked like I'd maybe turned it around, and got social services on my side, recognizing the behavior of the father towards the children as being deeply harmful to the children. Mm. And then corruption rule reared its ugly head again. And we had my entire unredacted case file from social services given to somebody, either the father or his lawyer. Um, and this documents from it submitted into the case file in uh, the family court. Uh, in an attempt to use it against me um those were things which should not have been given um my uh, lawyer reported this to the state prosecutor uh the Croatian office for anti-corruption and organized crime got involved this was not the only documented case of corruption I have uh uh, court judgments which I won in my children's name demonstrating that my children were registered unlawfully in school in Croatia my ex-husband the social worker actually said to me it's clear you know on a couple of occasions that he is abusing his influence you know to um get decisions from the institutions that he wants at the expense of the children he was very she was very upset about that yeah. Um, but then those same social services did that. And I realized if I don't put up uh, the mother load of all fights against this corruption, it's going to swallow me. And it did. Um, we ended up in a court hearing. Another way that they uh, manipulate uh, these court hearings, not just in my case, but routinely, systematically, is to drag them out. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it got dragged out and out and out. We got an expert witness involved uh, who, it turned out, recommends care of the children to fathers who have got criminal convictions for assault and battery Mm -hmm. against the mother, where there is medical evidence of sexual abuse of the child. Uh, they were involved, and I could see the way that the assessment was going was very irregular. I started making complaints. Then one of the things that was really weird to me was that I was asked to attend an appointment at the Croatian State Hospital, the main hospital for psychiatry. Oh no! A private appointment in a public hospital. I was. Like, what is that all about? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, um yeah it turns out uh this is also something that happens uh in Croatia uh there's been a case this year about uh doctors being reprimanded for doing this they're sitting in state property public hospitals getting paid for conducting private assessments that last for hours uh I did not feel comfortable putting myself into those people's hands so I withdrew from the assessment, I wrote to everybody, I had been writing to uh, the uh, top level of Croatian politics, to the European Union, to the British government for uh, about two years by this point, Uh, not getting really any helpful response and um, uh, the point where we had our final hearing and the final judgment was given in a child custody case in Croatia. We had six people who were implicated in this investigation, open investigation by the State Office for for Corruption and Organized Crime, on the case and the judgment was made in their favor and against the wishes of the children. Mm -hmm. Um, So, here I am, If I had done things differently, if I'd kept Mm -hmm. my mouth shut and kept my head down, I do not believe the outcome would have been any different. Mm -hmm. Um, I've kept fighting and um, I'm using my position, you know, uh, now I'm not in Croatia. Um, I'm sitting in another country, I'm able to speak out about it. If I was in Croatia, probably I would be too frightened I know there are many other parents who have had the most horrific things happening and are still happening to them. I'm uh, in Croatia. Um, in March this year, things got to a point where things were really bad. Um, that my children did not want to go back to their father. They, my parents, were able to visit for the first time after the coronavirus pandemic. My children were very. I think, emotionally affected by being able to see them again. And Mm. they just didn't want to leave. Mm. And I could see because I was was helping them with their schoolwork that they were struggling in school. Mm -hmm. And they'd reported to me uh, abuse in the school as well. And I said, oh, yeah, very interesting thing that also happened. I found out about a child trafficking scandal, enormous scandal Mm -hmm. in Croatia, massive news centered on the very K, uh, court, which has been hearing our cases over the illegal adoption of children from the Democratic Republic of Congo into Croatia. And you're going to tell me that these judgments, which I can see just as a reasonable person looking at them, you know, somebody with a, at least a average level of intelligence, they make no sense and you're going to tell me I have to continue abusing my own children, keeping them in a situation which is emotionally harming them. My, my son said to me, "Mom, I'm afraid of developing diabetes because of all of the stress. Oh. His oh. grandfather has diabetes, he knows what it is. Um, so mm. I begged and pleaded with the father, please listen to the children. We don't want to take them away from you. We want you to have a fantastic relationship with them. Mm -hmm. We'll bring the children to you to spend time with you. Why not? You know, Mm -hmm. as a mother, it's difficult for me to, you know, have the children all the time, school holidays. Let them come and enjoy school holidays with you. Mm -hmm. I like being in Croatia too for holidays. Well, Mm -hmm. come, you come and be a part of their lives. I would never, ever not uphold that. Mm -hmm. And his response was to ask the court for uh, the enforced removal of the children from me and to restrict my contact with them to two hours a week. So we had no option. We left again and we ended up in Switzerland. And uh, by this time, I knew the family court crisis is a systemic thing. I know it's all over the European Union. I've made comments at the EU level, complaints rather. They haven't been taken seriously. Switzerland is not the European Union, and I decided to try to seek asylum. And um, under the Geneva Convention, my children and I have got the right to seek asylum from inhuman treatment. Mm -hmm. And I really consider that taking children away from their mother against their wishes keeping them away keeping them over years in this state of suspended animation and long-term misery mm. and making decisions which are harming their health and their educational needs is inhuman treatment mm-hmm. and especially taking them by force um and for myself um most European countries, have- <coughs> Have ratified a law called the Istanbul Convention, which is about violence against women. And there are two articles which are explicitly about asylum for victims of gender based violence. And uh, that's where I am. Turns out that um, it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, to get asylum. As a mother running from what seemed as termed as a safe country in inverted commas, Um, Mm -hmm. and actually there is a report by the monitoring committee for the Istanbul Convention about Switzerland, which talks explicitly about this. The Swiss authorities apparently have not read this legislation, and they uh, reported the children who had been reported missing uh, to the Croatian authorities. So they breached, you know, their right to asylum. And the children within 10 days after the filing by the father of another third Hague Convention case were returned against their very strongly expressed wishes. These were children who had threatened threatened suicide. Mm. Uh they were t- they told the judge, they spoke to the judge, they said, um, you have the power to give us back our happy childhoods or to destroy our lives forever. The children's Swiss lawyer said to the court, the children cannot expect to have a happy childhood in Croatia under these circumstances Mm -hmm. and expect to grow into healthy adults. And the court sent them back within 10 days. And I put footage on Twitter of the children screaming as they were taken by force. This was police brutality. I told the police, this is a violation of international law. I had a law professor write to me and say, this is shocking. Um, The police officer clearly enjoyed it, this footage. On Twitter, I took of his face smirking. Uh, It is sickening. I realised we have nowhere to run mothers and children have no place to hide and the Hague Convention allows for children not to be sent back if to do so would harm their interests would present a great risk to them would be against their wishes would put their mother in an intolerable situation Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when I say mother it could be a father in the opposite situation it it can happen Mm -hmm. um but it's it's all falls down at the implementation. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm a member of a group, the, the Hague Mothers Group, you know, as a what's called an expert by experience. Um, you know, it was quite wonderful in um, October last year to get together. There must have been about 30 people in the room who were victims of the Hague mm. Convention. Narcis Golan, sadly, uh, chillingly absent, uh, Mm -hmm. but very present in our thoughts. Um, What can be done? Um, I think the only thing that can be done is to join together uh, internationally as mothers, as parents, as concerned citizens and lobby our governments. I believe just today we've had the news in, the, in, Ameri- in Australia, rather, that mm-hmm. there have been some changes, to, uh, I think it, in the legislation to address this problem. Um, but the thing that concerns me, Marianne, and I think this will probably resonate with a lot of uh, listeners is, and with you, um, it's one thing to have legislation, but in the family courts, across different countries and across each nation you've got courts at a federal level a high level and you've got these smaller courts and some of them are hearing child abduction cases and some of them are judges who may not have a very have any experience in hearing child abduction cases as, as was my situation actually and um what what happens to those parents and children and who is monitoring what's going on? Where is the oversight? Where is the accountability? Um, this is the problem. It, the devil's in the details in in the implementation, and where this where the appeals process is not fit for purpose. And it really isn't because Nancy Golan, after winning at the Supreme Court, should mm-hmm. not have been sent back down to the oh, state level to I fight agree. again. Yeah,
0: you know, and that, and she had to go back down to that a female judge, mm. and I just find it just. I know this is going to sound biased, and I don't mean to, but you would think a female judge, after hearing what the Supreme Court had to say, would have enough sense, to say, okay. That's what you know we'll just keep you here. Mm. There was enough evidence on mm. the father from what I understand, yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable
1: mm. yeah, and instead of protections being put up, you know, to protect her and protect her child, you know, maybe she need not have lost her life mm-hmm. and um the child now. It faces being ripped away from his loving family and sent into institutional care just so that the father, the violent father, can have access to him. There is no sense in this world.
0: No. No, not at all. Mm. Uh, I hope this does not happen to Bradley. Mm. Uh this is just um, unbelievable. Yeah. And I hope this does not happen to him. I hope Make there's sure. some common sense with some mm. of these judges that should know better mm. uh, and know about parenthood and actually study the case. See, The problem that we're having is these judges aren't looking at evidence. They're not studying the case. They just are rushing through cases. Their dockets are full and they're making horrific mistakes with parents and their children's lives.
1: I even wish it was like that, but honestly witnessing the things that are happening in the courts and the way that families and children are being treated. um, You mentioned at the beginning that I started this group family court crisis. Um, We are, a legal entity. We um, have become part of the largest network of women's organisations in the United Kingdom, where there is significant concern about what the uh, is going on in the family courts. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping to embed ourselves in the structures, you know, of groups who are dealing with uh, human rights violations in the mm-hmm. United Kingdom, because uh, the way that a lot of us are seeing it is this is about grievous violations of human rights uh of parents and of children um uh yeah um I'm, I'm there's, there's lots that we need to do you know mm-hmm. this is a scandal and I've been looking at other scandals in you know, the United Kingdom the way that they've been playing out um and the way that they've been addressed we need this campaign group we need solidarity unity we need public support and we need political support um so one of the things I'm trying to do is raise awareness and one of the cases I reported on yesterday was um something that you reminded me of Marianne thank you for that we got a lot of response Mm -hmm. a mother who collapsed after hearing uh learning upon learning of a negative outcome for her and her children, I believe in family court, collapsed and died. Mm-hmm. The paramedic came in without a defibrillator. And, and walking
0: and walking very slowly into the courthouse.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: He was taking yeah. his good old time.
1: Mm. Now, these parents who are sharing their stories anonymously are talking about vomiting during court hearings. They're talking about being in a state of collapse. One of the barristers in the United Kingdom reported a mother having to attend the hearing from her hospital bed of having to be wheeled into a hearing in a wheelchair because um, these are illnesses which are being brought upon by the severe stress. It's debilitating
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we have a group in the United Kingdom of academics who are researching the health impacts and their report will be uh, available quite soon um, uh, I dread to think you know what it's going to say um, but I believe in hearing this testimony from so many people it's not just about mistakes this is about vindictiveness oh, these are people great. who are enjoying seeing mothers suffer I don't know how they can contemplate what is happening to the children because as my father said very astutely at one point it is the children who are at the sharp end of this Mm -hmm. and somehow they get forgotten in all of this because of all of the noise about the parents you know but it's the I remember what it was like when I was a child. I didn't have the sense of perspective that I do now. I don't didn't have anywhere close to the strength that I do now. Mm-hmm. And how are our children coping? I, I find it difficult to even contemplate because somehow I just have to try to keep my emotions somewhere mm-hmm. so that I can function and fight for my children and for all of the children and all of the parents who are going through this, because we have got to stand together. Now, are you able to see your kids at all? Right now, I fear that if I walked into Croatia, I could be arrested and imprisoned. Okay. Because my ex-husband has told the police that I'm an extreme danger to my children, because I have um, stood up for my children against this corrupt system and it is not just me saying making claims it is documented Mm -hmm. i have evidence this is corruption um because i stood up for my children uh i am very likely to be accused of abusing the children but one thing i know is that my children know who stood up for them Mm -hmm. somebody stood up for them And Mm -hmm. is keeping on fighting for them. And they are actually frightened about what might happen to me Mm -hmm. if I go to Croatia as well. So it looks like, for the time being, we will not be able to see each other. But I have to keep pushing. So I've given you a link uh, to a petition which I have. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I mean to do with other parents is push this issue into the public domain, Mm -hmm. into our government executives and scream until somebody does something because I I've I've heard a meeting of journalists in the United Kingdom for a publication called Tortoise at the end of last year they've been doing quite a lot of deep investigative work and they said this is of the utmost public interest because intrusion into our family lives Mm -hmm. of violence and corruption and state interference um it is the most horrifying thing because our homes are sacred mm-hmm. and the bonds that we have with our children are sacred and we take it for granted and while we don't realize that what a risk we are at from this horror then we are in danger um i am fearful I know that there are a lot of very deep financial and political interests in this. Mm -hmm. And um, I am afraid, you know, what happened to Narciss, you know, she's not the only one. There are cases, I remember there was a US, I believe it was a senator a few years ago who was Mm -hmm. talking about CPS in a very eloquent and impassioned way. Mm -hmm. She and her husband ended up dead.
0: Yeah, Senator Nancy Schaefer and her yeah. husband. And they made it look like a suicide, but there was mm. no way. Because she mm. was supposed to deliver a speech three days prior. And this speech they did not want her to deliver. Mm. That's what I had heard. Mm,
1: mm, 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 mm. So this is dangerous work. This is why it's imperative that we stand together together. Uh, We're not each of us buried within our own countries, but we have our eyes on each other's countries. And if one country can do it, can pull themselves up and say, we're not going to do this anymore. And we have our eye and say, you know, you can do it too. be better than that, Mm -hmm. you know, because this is not just about family law as well. If we're not confident when we go into a courthouse that the judge will be impartial. That the evidence will be reviewed. That perjury will not be tolerated. um, That the law will not be applied. Do we not have? Do we have confidence in our democracy?
0: Mm -mm. No. Um, Unfortunately, no. There are good judges out there. I've heard of a couple. Mm -hmm. But some of these judges, if they're good and they do the right thing in family court, then they somehow get moved. And get punished and get sent to another division,
1: Mm -hmm. like maybe
0: doing traffic tickets. Mm -hmm. So if they're doing the right thing by parents, uh, they get punished. So you're left with attorneys that um, are friends with your opposing that Mm -hmm. have the opposing has contributed to their judge campaign or paid them off. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's just a realm that I tell parents just, if you can avoid it, avoid it. Unfortunately, as you and I have gone through, is personality disorders suck you into going to family court, where, mm-hmm. you know, if, if people thought of the children's childhood, they only get one childhood, you know, e- even if you aren't getting along, you know, you could still make it work and just, mm-hmm. you know... um you know, it, it can work. Oh, you know, this is another podcast
1: <laughs> in mm. itself,
0: but um, people have made it work.
1: Sure. Lots but... of people make it. Most people make it work, actually. Yeah. I, I sort of figured the other day it's about 3% of, you know, separating couples that end up in family court. Um, and it's because, I believe, of those personality disorders. Mm-hmm. Right and
0: oh, mm. oh, also their attorney, their own, their attorney is a personality disorder who mm. thoroughly enjoys mm. um, keeping this going, mm. interfering with judges' orders. Mm. Oh yes, I, I've got documentation that this is what they do, and mm. it's sickening because it, they don't care about your kids. These attorneys want to drag this out. So they have money rolling in to take their family to Disney world six times a year.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was a child, I would not want to be dining out on that. You know, it's like, you know, the kids who grew up to find out that their fathers had, you know, were had committed, you know, atrocities, you know, as under the Nazi or Soviet regimes, for example, How could you live with that, knowing that that's, you know, how your parent made their money? Oh, exactly. And
0: how, you know, they take a child away from the target parent. And then Mm -hmm. the judge gets to go home to his family and sit down with dinner to his family. And he doesn't care that he destroyed children's childhoods and a parent's uh, psyche Mm-hmm. Because this is actually a gauntlet of of hell in family court.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a just- believe, Go ahead. it's not just psyche. It's so bad. It impacts your physical health. Oh, it does, yes. And some people lose their lives. They cannot carry on living. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is awful. It it is a form right. of manslaughter. I believe honestly.
0: Right. And children are losing their lives. I Mm. can't even begin to tell you that I had worried about one of mine. I was Mm. so worried he was going to do something to himself. Mm. I mean, I just sat around and worried about it. And there's nothing you can do. I mean, you can pray about Mm. it, but you're going to sit around and worry if that child is very um, emotional, if that child is an empath and they're, Mm. Being put in a position where they're in a Stockholm syndrome area, mm-hmm. and they're being threatened by a a very threatening looking figure, or figures.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, right, and, mm-hmm. and you have to ask yourself, what individual would do this to the mother or the father of their children? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, a sociopath, psychopath
1: there's a very interesting uh psychologist in the united kingdom who is saying don't give these people the excuse of mental illness these are people who are willfully abusive to others it's their choice to be like that um yeah um that's just
0: Right, and yeah. I would mm. even say, and I don't know how you feel about this, but mm. I, I think these people are just pure evil. That that's how I feel about it. From what I've seen, even in mm. my case, and what other parents are telling me on crisis calls, mm. it's like, are you kidding? They did that. This is.
1: Are you talking about the parent there or about the system? Both. Yeah. as
0: as the ex mm. is
1: in the system
0: and you know dragging you to court and lying about you and i've had several parents uh mothers and or fathers said when i was living with this person and this abuse was going on and they would be confronted with this abuse they noticed that their their eyes just turned black their mm. irises mm-hmm. and i'm like there's There's more going on with this, uh, which would be another podcast. but it, it makes you wonder. Uh, and I noticed that with my ex because you know you're in this relationship, you're trying to make it work because you want to keep your family together, but they're acting so uh oddly. Uh, you don't even know who this person is. They just turned into something else over a period Mm. of time
1: yeah yeah I do know what you mean um I I'm not here to trash my ex you know and I just would like to say that actually for me his behavior pales into insignificance next to the behavior of the system Mm -hmm. and the some of the individuals in it because um We grow up, I heard an Australian psychologist, I think her name might be Karen Williams. Mm -hmm. I heard her talk about this. Um, We grow up thinking and believing that outside of our parents and our homes, uh, there is a sort of layer of protection for us. And it's the state Mm -hmm. and these institutions which we grow up believing are there to do the right thing and uphold Mm -hmm. the law and protect us and the realization that in this family law arena that does not exist and not only that but it will turn on you Mm -hmm. and harm you and inflict such devastating harm on you and on your child as you try to protect them um it's been called a moral injury Say, moral, say that
0: again. Mor- moral
1: injury. moral injury. Yeah, I believe it's actually a tort. Moral injury. Hmm.
0: Now, is uh, that just that's just in your country or in Europe?
1: I'm thinking about that, and I'm not quite sure. I don't know if you have tort law in in the United States. Oh yeah, um, we do. yeah. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I look into it. Um, See, we have mm. intentional infliction
0: of emotional distress, which is a tort. Mm.
1: Right. Mm. Uh, this probably- is this is a person. I think there's a term: a person who has authority, you know, vested in them by you know a, an official organizer body, who we expect to behave in a certain way, and then who lets us down by mm-hmm. behaving in absolutely the opposite mm-hmm. way, you know, in abandoning their. Moral duty as an officer of the state, I think it is actually brings an, an extra level of harm because of the additional level of psychological harm, of losing that sense of protection. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's really serious.
0: See, and a lot of people say, well, you know, your ex could be behaving badly but blame the judge because they're the ones making the poor decisions. However, again, Mm. you know, the judge could be bought off. The judge and the opposing attorney had a a relationship working together in the DA's department. There's so Mm. many connections in these courthouses that Mm. your case has already um, been delivered on. When you go in there, it's already been figured out and they know what they're going to do mm. it's very
1: sickening yeah I, I don't think people in real life you know have any clue any idea that this is going on and uh mm, yeah it's very very difficult to get the word out as well you know the, for it to break through you know a media wall of silence um And I don't see that too much in terms of conspiracy um, because I've been hearing that what it's about is um, the recognition on the terms of, you know, the sort of media outlets that they can get themselves hit with lawsuits because the people who are involved in this are very litigious and they will take you. And uh, they just have to be prepared to have... The money on hand to fight off a lawsuit, you know. If um, so, it takes a, a huge investment of very dedicated reporting to get past all the reporting restrictions, to understand the complexities of the case of the law, and also to take on the risk of slap proceedings. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so, yeah. it's
0: the yeah. problem. Isn't probably in your country as well. There's no. Mm-hmm video recordings and while in some states we do have some video recording but
1: uh cameras need to be in the courtroom yeah we have only just in the united kingdom started opening up um hearings in three pilot areas to the mm-hmm. public um uh so it's, it started to happen gradually uh in croatia not at all and many other jurisdictions i believe as well you know i think that uh, the us as always, a kind of taking the lead. The Anglophone com- countries not far behind, and um, the rest of the world, hopefully mm-hmm. soon, because it's the transparency and the a- accountability, I think, that are key, because you can have the sh- all the shiny laws you want. You can have all of the fabulous training, but I think it was Lundy Bancroft said that you can't train somebody out of being an a-hole, basically. Right, right. <laughs> you can't think yeah. stupid.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, yeah. the thing is, I I was new to this Hague convention, like, last year. I didn't realize mm. all of this was going on until I interviewed Jeff Jeffrey Morehouse. And I interviewed him in November. And I had no idea that even a lot of these countries really are not even abiding by what should be done with the Hague Convention. They're mm. indeed just calling it a family matter. It's a civil thing, just, you know, yeah, blowing it off. I had no idea. You mm. know, and again, you've got parents that are thinking, oh, you know, the, the Hague Convention, I'm I'm going to be safe. I'm, I'm going to be protected and far from the truth. Yeah, yeah. Mm-mm-mm.
1: This is it. You see, pa- parents are just... Walking into courtrooms with no idea of Mm -hmm. what's going on can take years before before you actually find out. Probably um, most people probably never ever learn. They probably just go and give up. You know. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think the resilient ones who make it through and actually see mm -hmm. behind the curtain. You know. Right. Right, and um you have to educate
0: people in fact i had a guy come in to put he was putting in sliding glass doors so i said hey have you ever been to family court this is just like horrible you just meet someone and you're saying hey have you ever been to family court he goes well actually yeah uh my ex and i we went in there once we were so horrified we both walked out of there and said we were never going in there and we would figure things out for ourselves wow and it's like that's amazing. Um, if the the normal people can see this and and I do, and I have interviewed parents that have co-parented very well mm. and up until the child's 18 and and have done very well co-parenting, it can be done. It's mm. the third party interference that is causing the problems. And that's another I, podcast on
1: its own. Yeah, I've even heard parents say we walked into family court in relatively, you know, decent terms, but that broke down after years of third-party interference, basically. Right. Um, It might be interesting also for, you know, uh, listeners in the US to be aware, and I don't know what the situation is with the law over there, uh, in the UK we have just uh, had a piece of, a a change in the legislation um, of post-separation abuse, uh, where it is recognized that, um, you know, legal disputes can be weaponized uh, to actually, you know, inflict harm on a former partner. So I just hmm. go ahead. I was just going to say, I just don't know whether they'll implement that piece of legislation either at this point. Um, there are just so many things that are wrong. Law enforcement is broken. The courts are broken. Social services is beyond hope. Um, you know, it's really but, but naughty, this, isn't it? Mm. This change in legislation
0: for post separation abuse, and mm-hmm. it's being recognized that, you know, it's inflicting harm on the ex, or it's actually legal abuse, but what are they going to do with that? Are they going to educate the judges on that? Uh, are they going to educate the barristers on that?
1: I mean, it's very, very, you know, very uh, difficult to know. But I think to an extent, it is up to us parents now. We've got to say we have to use our voices and tell our politicians we can't live like this anymore you have got to do something you know this is a public health crisis <laughs> you know it's right. uh, mm, we've got to find a way and i really really believe in parents as stakeholders being part of raising the problem and identifying the solution being part of The solution that it's not just out of our hands, because I think at the moment we've had the judiciary say, this is the way we'll do it. And they keep it firmly in their pockets. And that's why nothing changes.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm I'm so glad I met you and we met on Twitter. What is your Twitter handle?
1: Yeah. So you can reach me personally on Natalie Anderson. N-A-T-A-L-Y. A N D E R S O N. Or uh, on court crisis, family court crisis. If you Google Twitter, family court crisis um, will come up, but the handle is court underscore crisis. Okay. That's the best way. Okay. And I'm really grateful to you, Marianne, for all of the hard work you're doing as well to shine light on so many aspects of this really naughty, huge problem mm-hmm. and to raise awareness um and yeah, it's been a delight to speak with you as well because that you know exchange of information across the ocean, it's mm-hmm. so valuable. It's wonderful. I, I find it very personally empowering and and healing as well for us to meet each other and and talk because the I, silence is so deadly isn't it
0: it is deadly and I, i'd like to have you back on again and uh i think that would be great if we could talk again on more subjects of, I would off, love of this realm yeah. <laughs> of this realm i know it's an uncomfortable realm to talk about but you know we've got to talk about it to warn people
1: yeah 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 I'm here, I'm always happy to talk about these subjects, so... <laughs> Oh, well, hey, uh, don't jump off, <laughs> slam the
0: gavels of podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Natalie Anderson, all the way from the UK, and other exciting guests. Thank you again, Natalie. I totally appreciate you coming back or coming on to my podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much Marion. Thank you everybody for listening. Let's support each other. Let's get through this together.
0: Definitely.